Hi, everyone. This is Christina with Roadmap Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. We have our first guest today. I'm super excited to be here with a friend of mine, um, Chef Anthony Thomas. We'll be speaking to him. But this is our first podcast, so I want to get into a little bit about what this is about. Um, we will be talking to people who I feel have an extraordinary story. They're just ordinary people that have found a way to accomplish some things regardless of the adversities and things that they face. So please join me in welcoming Chef Anthony Thomas. Thank you for coming today. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. We've had an amazing meal upstairs. So you've cooked us some soul food. (laughs) (laughs) This is our second time having him come. So tell us about what you do, who you are today. So uh, my name is Chef Anthony Thomas. 33-year-old personal chef based out of Washington, D.C. area. Um, I'm a five-time author, and um, I offer personal chef services, catering, uh, large events, small events, weddings, private parties. Um, I also offer a detox juice cleanse, which is helping individuals with uh, health issues, especially during the time like this when, you know, we're dealing with uh, uh, people having sicknesses or being around people who are sick. It's helping a lot of people in that aspect. So is that what's like one of the defining factors of how you got started into culinary in the first place? Was that it? So um, I've been cooking for a long time. I'm talking about as a kid, I would come home from school, fifth grade. Uh, I would cook something as small as like an egg sandwich. Um, I ended up getting caught by my mom because I didn't technically wash the dish correctly. But I should have known that that was probably my passion at that time. Uh, moving forward, you know, more on a professional level, um, I started cooking once I moved out. Well, let me back up. I started cooking when I was in my sophomore year of college. Okay. So I was uh, diagnosed with a rare, rare brain deformity called an ulterior venous malformation. Uh, because of this, I had to end up changing my diet. I was eating a lot of bad college food, you know, mm-hmm. food that college kids eat, a lot of General Souls chicken, a lot of uh, carryout, a lot of fast food. So Don't forget the noodles. The noodles, I <laughs> love them, you know, especially with the uh, – the whole, I would use the entire pack. Yeah, so, so all of the seasons. All of the seasons. <laughs> so blood pressure went sky high after eating a meal one day, and I didn't know what was going on. It's just a really outer body experience. Um, got rushed to the hospital. Um, they told me that you have to have this brain surgery in order to correct this issue. Okay. So what I did was I made that decision to get the surgery. Seven days later, I had the surgery. Um, after a successful surgery, it was 13 hours long. I was um, had to learn how to walk. Had to learn how to talk again. Um, then I was discharged from the hospital. I said I had to change my diet. So I removed all bad foods from my diet and became a full vegan. Um, and from there, you know, I just felt better. Mm-hmm. And prior to this, let me not skip over, I used to have migraines at least once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've had zero. Okay. Like no headaches. So I can definitely say, and I was only a vegan for four years after that. Uh, once I really started pursuing culinary arts really seriously, I realized I have to try the pork dishes. I have to try the beef dishes. I don't eat them every day. Right. But, you know, I still have to try them here and there. Right. But for the most part, I can tell you, you don't need meat with every dish. Right. You don't need meat with every meal. Right. So, so take me back. So you were in college. Mm-hmm. You had this brain deformity. Did they say it was re- it was food related? Like, was that their kind of their diagnosis or was it kind of like, well, this is what you can do to try to, you know, alleviate that in the future? Did they know why you had it or was this just something that can happen to any of us? 
So you're just pretty much, you're born with it. Okay. Um, and when you're born with this issue, it can be um, triggered at any point in time. It can never trigger. Okay. Uh, I know an individual who's 70-some years old. She said her father found out he had it. He said, I'm not getting the surgery. Okay. He he's too old. Okay. Which is fine. I had another buddy of mine who was the same age as me, and his triggered the exact same year, exact same month as me. And he was in college down at um, FAMU. Okay. Go Rattlers. His is, his is on this side, as okay. opposed to this side. And right now, he's a vegetable where he cannot walk or talk. You know, and it hurts me when I see him because, you know, the doctors could have fixed that for him. Right. They thought that he had overdosed on some type of drug, so they never even treated him. Okay. You know? Um, so basically what I'm saying is you're born with this and, you know, I just say everybody should just get an MRI or a CAT scan to find out if they have this because, you know, you could just be walking or driving and you'll never know that it's there and it's right. just hemorrhaging and just black out. Um, mm. Yeah. So you're, you are like a living miracle, yeah. like timing and everything. Absolutely. So take me back to when you said that, you know, you were five years old in the kitchen and, you know, doing that, you know, in there trying to cook your egg sandwiches and stuff like that. Did you know then that you were interested in culinary or was it just like, you know, I'm five, you know, I need to eat like, you know, and then how did your family try to encourage that? Like, did you learn cooking from somebody? Do you remember um, being in the kitchen with somebody special or was it just you? You know, you just found out you loved it. So that's funny you say that because. I was nine, mm. five year old. If my daughter, my daughter's five, I see her in the kitchen. I'm gonna go off. She might be though with the way you're cooking around <laughs> here. Without me, um, <laughs> so I was nine, and I would just cook these different dishes. Well, th the same eggs that were scrambled over easy because I was sitting there watching my mom. And this is why I'm a firm believer that parents really need to study their children and okay. figure out what they see in their child that you know maybe like this might be the path that they want to go down. Right. So I told my mom, I was like, Mom, you never to notice how I would sit in the kitchen and just watch you fry chicken, watch you make mac and cheese, watch you cut up the ham, you know, on Thanksgiving. Like, I really was intrigued. Right. And she was like, you know, I thought all kids just did that. She's like, but she would have known that. She probably would have said, instead of going to Bowie State, maybe you should go to culinary school because this is something that you really, you know, I've really noticed over years that you really are into. Okay. Um. So, you know, like I said, I told my mom that, and I really think that we need to really watch what our kids are doing. And what they have interest in so that they can, you know, pursue those things. Is that kind of how you uh, figure, you know, with your parenting style now? Is that kind of the stuff that you're focused on? And Absolutely. I see that, you know, I don't know, a lot of our guests probably can't see this, so we'll hold it up at the mm -hmm. end. But you've got a lot of books and a lot of the books on the table are actually seem kind of dedicated to your daughter and, and has inspired. Mm -hmm. So tell me about this since we are talking about vegan right now. How would mm -hmm. you come up with the Little Vegan Chef book? So me and my wife and daughter were just in our condo, just sitting around. Pandemic just started. People doing TikTok dances online. I'm like, Yo, I can't let this time go past. It was like two weeks in. And I'm like, I really have to do something to stay productive because people were not knowing the inevitable. People were filing for unemployment. Right. And, you know, I'm just sitting here like, okay, I'm still delivering food, but I'm no longer doing any of these events anymore that I once was able to do because the world was shut down. So I was like, let me compose a book. What would make the most sense? Let me compose a book that I haven't done, and I've never really talked about veganism and, you know, my life with vegan. I was like, I think I want to relate it to kids so the kids can start off early, mm -hmm. you know, 
and realize that you don't need chicken nuggets with every meal. You don't need chicken. You don't need burgers. You know, you can have a nice whole meal with just plants. Right. So I tried to implement that in this book, and I made the recipes as simple as possible. So they're not real intricate. You have to get over the stove and cook these things. Some of them are, but they're very simple recipes that are fun and tasty. No, I mean, I've been looking at the book and to be honest with you, just the fact that like some of these are so simple and they sound so good, like just the black bean salsa. I saw kale mm-hmm. in here. Yes, yeah, sauteed yep. kale, like all of these things, avocado cream salad dressing. Yep. Everybody loves avocado. Mm-hmm. OK, yep. so like we'll definitely dive into this, but this is really awesome. So you are are you from this area? Born and raised. Born and raised. So D.C., Maryland. So for our our listeners that don't understand the DMV, were you born in D.C. and grew up in Maryland or like what where where you come from? I was born in Greater Southeast Hospital, which is right there in Southeast off Southern Avenue. Okay, but I was actually raised in Mount Rainier, which is right outside of Northeast. Like it borders Northeast. Um, And people a lot of people don't even know about Mount Rainier unless you've (laughs) really driven through it or know someone who lives there. Right. It's one of those real small towns, you know. Cut through and you end up in Hydesville. Right. One minute you're in Mount Rainier, one minute you're in Brentwood, and then you're back in Hydesville, which is probably a much bigger city. So how did like that shape who you are now? Like growing up in this area, I'm I'm from Florida. Yeah. It's a very different area, even from just being here from a short time. There's a lot of things that as a child I wasn't exposed to because this area just has a lot more things going on. So yeah. like how how do you feel that growing up in this area shaped you? Good, bad, ugly? Um, I would say more so good. I was exposed to a lot of things that maybe I shouldn't have because Mount Rainier was really one of those cities. Like I said, it bordered Northeast. And growing up in the 80s, 90s, you know, it was kind of drug infested. So my parents mm-hmm. kind of kept me, kept me sheltered from that. But I still got to go to school. As I get a little older, I still got to walk to the bus stop. So I'm seeing things that, you know, average people may not be seeing, like, right. you know, different junkies on the side. I'm seeing a lot of winos because there was a lot of liquor stores down here. There was one really popular uh, liquor store called Bass Liquor Store. You remember the liquor store? Yeah, Bass <laughs> Liquor Store right there. And they people used to go in there and cash checks. They ain't asked for no ID. Like, I know these things because of the, the stories that people tell. But, um, walk, like, walking past Bass, you know, it, 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 it was horrible. Like, I could still remember what it looked like. You know, before they had to knock it down. I was going to say, it's yeah. not there anymore. Oh, it's not there anymore. Yeah. Um, had too many parties. Oh, you remember it? No. Oh. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm just saying, it's not there anymore. So yeah. it had to have some good parties. I mean, you yeah. see the, you know, just going through D.C., you see the history, yeah. you know, and yeah. you hear the, the stories. Yeah. Yep. And being here now to see it, mm-hmm. I can't imagine what people say it used to be. You know, yeah. H Street, Florida yeah. Avenue, those places are just, they say it's just different now. Oh, it's, it's much different and Mount Rainier was it's different now but not too much different you know it's, it's kind of clean but it was really off the hook yeah back in the day like I said I appreciate my parents for sheltering me but you know when I'm walking to school I can still see these things and the kids who I went to school with these are their parents these are their oh, brothers wow. and sisters so if I'm going to birthday parties and I'm seeing them you know or you know I'm seeing their homes and I'm seeing the people that are there and I'm like exposed to this even though my parents trying to keep me isolated from it you know um it it, it was different so so i'm growing up around these people and as i'm getting older you you know you lose some friends you know and i'm like i'm not understanding like why individuals are dying and getting killed over here so i can say i truly do appreciate my parents for you know kind of keeping me you know to the side and you know keeping me inside and 
only let me stay out till the streetlights came on. I knew I had to get back in the house mm-hmm. and whatnot. So, so yeah. do you like a lot of those kids that you talk about? Are they? Do you see a difference in your lives? Like the ones that are still living? Like, can you see? You know, that you know you went this way and maybe they went that way. Maybe How's that? Yeah, because even though we grew up in the same city, we still had a different household structure. So I look at some of the guys. A lot, well, a lot of the guys, few of them got deported back because they were, weren't citizens. Of course, uh, many of them died. Mm-hmm. They were killed. Um, some of them, you know, they just working class, you know, working class, and they still live around there. Right. And, you know, um, some of them got away, but there's, I mean, got out of the neighborhood, right. you know. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's good to see that they're still alive, but, you know, they just didn't really do and aren't doing much. Right. But I'm just happy just to see them alive because, you know, they, there was a chance that you may have ended up or I could have ended up like one of those guys. So what you do know? you think now when you see D.C., though? Like, we all know that there's a change that's happening mm-hmm. in D.C. So as a person that's from this area, a black person from this area and the climate of what today is, how do you feel about the change that is taking over? I mean, People like me coming from Florida, where I've been around, you know, I I grew up in an area that was probably very mixed. You know, I swam, so I spent a lot of my time. But coming here, you find out that a lot of people are not used to seeing, you know, the amount of white people coming into the neighborhood. So as a person from D.C. who could speak, you know, from the heart, how do you feel about, like, seeing the gentrification and things like that are changing? Do you think it's good, it's necessary, you know, or do you kind of have an indifference about it? I mean, for crime purposes, which I think is probably the most important thing, I mean, the crime rate is down. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like they have more police on duty. But at the same time, I also think that, you know, the way that it, that whole process is, I think that it's unfair how they go about it. Right. You know, um, and may, maybe I feel even more passionate about if I had to live, if I was living in D.C. Right. But, I, you know, it is what it is. And, you know. It's just not fair. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? like- <laughs> it, it's, it's really not fair how they go about doing it. But, you know, who am I going? I can't stop it. Right, right, right. No, that's totally true. It's just it's so interesting just uh, just being from a different area mm-hmm. and then appreciating seeing it. But then also appreciating, you know, the difference of opinions mm-hmm. um, and how people feel. Obviously, like you said, we're out further out, yeah. you know, so some of those things don't affect us. So Correct. you were talking about your childhood, the people that you were around, the ones that didn't make it. Let's talk about some things that could have gotten you and you wouldn't be here, you know, Mm -hmm. that you've experienced. So there was a time that you were in jail Mm -hmm. and I know that you spent some time in prison. Let's talk about that. So tell me your story about what all happened with that. So um, around 2008, the recession hit. And when the recession hit, I lost my job at the Washington Post. I was a top salesman. They sent me to Hawaii, free trip, because of how many subscriptions I was selling. Okay. Um, Lost that job in March, and I had a nice amount of money saved up for a little 20-year-old kid. And by August, I ain't had no more money, you know, because I'm living off of this money, paying all my bills and whatnot. And then an opportunity presented itself to me from a friend of mine. Because I'm looking at him and a couple other guys who we used to hang with, and I'm like, yo, y'all really look like you're doing something, man me on right and he was like all right man i got you a couple days later the guy was like yo you ready i said let's do it 600 bucks one day i ain't had no i ain't got no money i'm scraping you know here and there right like do this 
Next day, $1,200. Next day, 2000 Now I got, like, literally, no joke, a shoebox of money. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have anything prior to that. So then I found out the ins and outs of how to acquire this money. And I'm like, okay, if he's paying me this, you know, what is he making? So I found out how to go about acquiring the money the way he was, and I, I became the big dog. So now instead, and I wasn't paying no one else to do it. I was doing it all by myself. So okay. now I'm making the money on my own without the middleman. Okay. Um, and ultimately, long term, four years later, that indictment comes. Not because I physically got caught in the act, but because someone else got caught in the act mm-hmm. and said, I want to lesser my time, so let me drag him into it. Now, I'm no saint. I'm doing wrong. I'm breaking the law. So... I'm not gonna say I don't fault him, but he dragged me down, so now I gotta pay the price. Right. That caused me to get an indictment. I get indicted um, in September. No, August. Okay. August comes around. Uh, August 2011. It was around the time. I don't know if y'all was here in that. Y'all was here at that time. No, not until 16. Got you. Okay. So y'all don't remember that big earthquake on this East Coast? No, we hear all the stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was literally the day before the earthquake came. Okay. Um, I get indicted. Okay. No, they all got indicted before that. And then they were asking, hey, where's Anthony? Because I had nothing in my name. No car in my name, no place in my name. So they don't know where I'm staying at. Okay. They just said that they were staking out at, the well, this is the U.S. Marshals. They're staking out at, I mean, Secret Service. They're staking out at my parents' house and they never see me pull up. They know what kind of car I possibly may have because it's one registered to my sister, but they don't see it. And that's the car I had. White Range Rover. They didn't see me. So... Long story short, they were like, yo, these dudes asking about you. I can't live on edge on a run. I go and turn myself in. Okay. Turn myself in. Uh, and they're all out on like federal charges normally keep you in. But when it's not, when it's a white collar crime, they sometimes tend to let you out. Because I had a pending case, they they said that I was a, a flight, uh flight threat. Flight, flight threat? risk. Flight risk, yeah, flight risk. And I was a threat to society. Um, now what you were doing was nonviolent, nonviolent. Okay. Mm-hmm. And because of this, they held me in here. They wouldn't let me out. I had long dreads when I'm in here and I'm thinking, and none of the other co-defendants had hair. Okay. So I guess I looked like a thug. Mm-hmm. So funny story. October comes up and I have a bail hearing. So I'm already been in here for two months. I said, let me cut my hair. And I never wanted to part ways with my dreadlock. Like, those were my thing. Right. I cut my hair. I go in for a bell hair. My attorney says, uh, uh, Mr. Tringer, I mean, uh, Honorable Tringer, will you let Mr. Thomas out on um, home confinement? He said, yeah, but where is he going to go? He was like, I think he can go to his mother's house, you know, pending sentencing. And he was like, uh, where's his mother at? Mother's sitting right here. She was like, yeah, he can come with me. He said, okay, go pack your stuff. I get back to the unit, I get the lead. The whole point I'm trying to make is because I cut my hair, because I went up for four bail hearings and got denied four times. Same judge. Mm. I go in front of the same judge with a low cut, and now I'm able to get out. It's kind of ironic, but they let me out. So now I'm sitting at home with my mom and a little bit of money and pending going to prison. Mentally, it starts messing with you. I started drinking a lot. You know, just like, I don't know what I'm about to, what, how much time I'm going to get. 
the sentence, I mean, the, the charge held nine and a half years. Um, so finally going for sentencing, they enhanced me because I had previous traffic offenses. So there's categories, one through six. One meaning you've never been in trouble before. Six meaning you've been breaking the law since you were three. Okay. Right? <laughs> so they put me in category three, which is halfway there. Right. But my attorney said to the judge, he was like, he's only in category three because driving on suspenders, he has a bunch of driving on suspenders and seatbelt tickets and whatnot. That's what enhanced me. Yeah. He said, can you move him back to category one because everything's traffic related? He said, sure. So I get sentenced to 32 months as opposed to that category almost had me at like 70 some months. Okay. Just because of a bunch of traffic offenses. I go in, out of 32 months, I do 24 straight, come out halfway out. During that time period, me and my wife kind of, um, we were already friends prior to. She wrote me, and we had been kicking it. Mm-hmm. Um, months later, about six, seven months later, we got married. Um, and I'm still trying to transition back into society. But I'm kind of, what's the word? institutionalized because I, and I had only been there, what, 24 months. But once this becomes your routine, you don't know how to really get out of this routine of wake up, do this, do this, do this, do this. Now I got to acquire money. I don't know how to do it, but I know that it's not going to be by breaking the law and it's going to be by catering and offering my personal chef services. So I, when I get out, I build a website, chefanthonyevents.com, which is the same website I still use to this day. Um, and then I'm trying to figure out, I'm like, okay, there's some other chefs on the scene and I've never seen them before. They weren't even out here when I was here. They kind of took over while I was gone. Mm-hmm. How can I separate myself from what they're doing? Oh, you guys are doing it this way. Well, I'm going to do it this way. You know? So this way it's like, what does chef Anthony provide that these other chefs aren't providing? Right. So that, that's how you draw your clientele. in. So, so did you... So culinary didn't exist as far as to the degree that you're doing now before you were locked up. Correct. Okay. Cooking was something I did every single day and I would do it more so as a, um, I don't want to say as a hobby, but I would do it more so as a charity. So people had events. I'm like, yo, I'm bringing the mac and cheese. I'm bringing uh, the the deep fried shrimp. I'm bringing this. Okay. Because I never felt like I should take the money from hardworking people when I was making so much money doing what I was doing. Right. So I would always volunteer to bring something. Okay. Plus it gave me an opportunity to get people, people's, um, you know, their feedback. Right. And I love the feedback from people. Even to this day, I just love the feedback. Right. Even if somebody says something, Hey man, maybe you should use some hot honey this time as opposed to regular honey. I'm like, <laughs> why not? Uh, yeah. You, know? <laughs> you take it and try yeah. to make it I better. I never get upset. I love the feedback. I actually had one customer who every time I would deliver his meal prep, he'd be like, so, Meal number two, I think that you could have gave me a little more sauce on that one. And meal number four, I think the balance of the tomato with the cream, you know, and I just love that because it keeps me sharp and keeps me on point. So do you feel like that's kind of the, like, okay, so people gave you feedback. Mm -hmm. And so you you take the feedback Mm -hmm. um, before and then you start doing this afterwards. And so do you feel like when you're getting this feedback from people, and you receive it, that that's also what's kind of helped make you so successful in cooking. So do you think that um, as it relates to that, you know, a lot of times black businesses get a lot of slack. You know, we messed up one time and it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's a black business. You know, that's the Mm -hmm. first thing you hear. 
what would you say to black businesses that, you know, are doing something and, you know, they're, you know, whatever they specialize in. And um, when somebody says something negative or, you know, says something about what they're doing and says it needs improvement, what do you think that, you know, business is out there? What's the one thing that you would, you know, tell them as it relates to feedback, like how to receive it, not take it personal, but try to start listening to your customers also so that we can continue to build black economics? Um, just always provide the best customer service. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen people that have been upset about different products that black people provide. And normally it's like, they're like, this person was late. This person talked to me unprofessionally. Mm-hmm. This person didn't have all of this. We're already at a disadvantage when it comes to each other. Cause we're waiting on us to mess up, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why I pride myself on don't count today. Count last time being on time, extra early, Cause then it's like, okay, you're, you're still, you're still on level playing ground. Right. You don't get any points for it, you know, <laughs> right. as, as, as a black business. So I'm early right. preparing amazing food, plating it, smiling, making sure that I have, you know, great conversation, you know, and you know, that will take you a long way. Right. I'll go back to a restaurant if they give me great experience and the food can be okay, as opposed to a food that's amazing and it's poor customer service. Right. No, I mean... My husband and I are the same way when it comes to, and I think that's why, again, we've, you know, we've now used you a couple times, mm-hmm. but within a short amount of time, because the first time that we worked with you, mm-hmm. you had great conversation, engagement, and, you know, started hearing your story and things mm-hmm. like that. Now back to the business. Yep. So you start doing culinary. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're making money. Mm-hmm. Are you on probation at this time or are you free? I completely am. I'm okay. on probation and I don't have my driver's license okay. because my driver's license was suspended for something prior to. So I'm working on getting my driver's license. So I'm driving to and from events illegally. Okay. And right before I get ready to get my driver's license back, I get pulled over. I violate probation. Mm. So now my probation officer, federal probation officer calls me and says, Hey, I see you got pulled over last night. Uh, I got to put you back in front of the judge. This right there can set me back and give me the three years of the probation started all over or finish it off. But when so I, you could would have to go, you could possibly go back into prison, go back to prison or have more probation yep, time. Exactly. And it's one or the other. It's one or the other. Okay. Or they or just both. won't do nothing. Yeah. It'd just be a warning. Okay. So I go back. They just extend the probation for another six months and I'm willing to take that. But I'm like, I can no longer drive to these events because now I don't feel safe. Right. You know, when I see a police officer, now I'm getting nervous, you know, at right. this time. Um, so ultimately, I got my driver's license back that following year, and I'm good to go. You okay. Know? But it's, it's really, you're really at a disadvantage as a black person behind the wheel driving a car illegally because you can't even talk. You won't be able to talk your way out of that. Right. You know? Maybe a woman may be able to say, oh, I didn't know my license was suspended. And they'd be like, well, go get it checked. Yeah. For me, it's like, you're automatically lying, and we don't believe what you're saying. So it's kind of how we're depicted in the media. So, Do you feel mm-hmm. that, I mean, this area's kind of had a mixture. You know, like when I first moved here, I was kind of like, oh, it's so nice to see, like, you know, we can protest and do different things. And mm-hmm. 
the cops downtown in D.C., you know, they're just kind of there. It's not what you see on TV when it comes to different things. Do you feel like this area, and I've heard horror stories, like we used to live in Virginia, and people were like, don't go to Virginia because they'll get you. Mm-hmm. Like, from as a person from the area, do you feel like, even though you've been here a long time and even though there's things changing, do you feel like there's still uh, improvements in this area as far as the relationships with police that could be improved to kind of help those stereotypes um, that, I mean, we are seeing more and more and know that they exist. Well, I mean, I'm kind of biased and it's kind of hard for me to see it because I was treated very poorly by PG police officers. Mm -hmm. But then again, I mean, not giving them a pass, I did have dreadlocks. So it made them probably automatically think that I was doing up to no good. Mm -hmm. Now I've been pulled over by police and you know, they talk to me very respectfully. And I don't know if it's because I talk back to them, how they want to be spoken to, but I mean, I don't have the same issues I once had, mm-hmm. but I could say it's always room for improvement. You know, right. I feel like the police department overall, um, Virginia is a whole nother ball game. They operate on a whole different wavelength. Montgomery County police officers operate on a whole different wavelength. Um, oh, we've heard. And Arundel County operates on a whole different wavelength. Right. Like, so I try to stay away from those, those areas, you know, right. just because things could go left. Right. Even being, you know, a model citizen. They don't operate how PG does. PG has much more African-Americans on right. their um, police force. Right. So. so, yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. So do you, you, you all this happens to you, you, you get your license back. Mm-hmm. What, what then changes your trajectory? Like what makes you like, I'm going to focus on food. I'm staying out of trouble. I think you've mentioned you've, you were married at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have your child yet? Yeah. Okay. So your wife's taking you to all these events. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. So it was my wife and my mother-in-law. Okay. So between them, they would get me to these events. They'd pick me back up from these events just to make sure that I was kind of, you know, getting out there, getting my name out there, getting the events under my belt and getting that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is during the process of me getting my driver's license back. Okay. So for about uh, two years straight, you know, I had to basically give rides to my events. Mm-hmm. And I also had to space out how I would get them done so that I didn't burn them out. You know, uh, at the same time, like kind of like, oh, it's just me. Right. You know, they still have to have their life too, right? So, so where you? So you are at this point a chef. You've gone through yeah. culinary school. Where'd you go? No, I didn't go to culinary school. I'm self taught. Okay, yeah. okay. So mm-hmm. everything is self taught at mm-hmm. that at this at this point, and so people are now you know requesting you for events. So how like where where did that? Those requests come from? Was it family, friends, or word of mouth? Like what was happening? Social media. Okay, so. My events started coming in, literally. I got out of the halfway house in June. I was doing events by July. Oh, wow. So just from the food I was presenting out there, and I go back and look at it all the time, I just be laughing like, my goodness, i come a long way. You know, just presentation, as you should. Right. And this is why I say studying and, you know, schooling yourself, if you're not going to go to culinary school, just being able to perfect it and get better over time in evolution. Right. I take people under my wing, and I'm like, you got to evolve. I see some people who don't evolve and the food still looks the same four years later, five years later. And, you know, it's fine. I mean, as long as it's good, whatever. Me personally, I have to always challenge myself to be better. Now, whether that's trying new recipes that I haven't tried before or whether that's plating like, uh, you know, like a Michelin star restaurant, you right. know, I'm just always trying to better myself and set myself apart from the competition. 
So you, <clears throat> at some point though, I know that in our, in our passing, you talked about working in restaurants previously. Mm-hmm. And so then you were like, I don't want to work in restaurants because it's, mm-hmm. it's a rough environment. It is. And then you're doing this on your own. Um, and at this point, this is your full time. So you are, this is all that you're doing right now is cooking and serving at different events. Now, were these events like weddings, you know, uh, or just, you know, coming over and doing like personal chef stuff or like what, what were you doing? These were more smaller scale events, 20 people or less. Okay. And, you know, baby showers, bridal showers, um, birthday parties, things like that um, earlier on. And as time went on, you know, I was able to do uh, weddings and then uh, corporate events and, you know, with more certifications, you know, uh, college events. Right. So that's why I say like, getting better and, you know, doing better for yourself and being able to offer something that they can't get anywhere else. Right. Like that butter poached lobster mashed potatoes. <laughs> that I haven't get, had yet, by the way. He keeps teasing me about this. You, okay, you people. You can't get that anywhere else. Not the original, you know. Right. So what I do is when I come up with these recipes, and I know we're about to go off on a tangent. What I do is I Google what I'm about to make. Right. And if I don't see it come up, that's mine. Okay. So, and I hate to say it, it's a lot of thieves out here. Right. I literally, I'm going to tell you, I made a crab stuffed steak. People are stealing recipes. Listen, stealing recipes. ideas. Ideas, yeah. So, I made crab stuffed steak. I was just like, let's stuff some, a whole crab cake, crab mixture into a steak. Take a big steak, slice it down the middle, my crab cake mixture, put it right in there, and I'm going to broil it in the oven. Crab cake's going to be done. The I'm gonna crab cake. The crab mixture is gonna be done, right. and then the steak is only gonna cook for so much. So you still get that nice pink yeah. medium flavor. Four days later, I see in my timeline another chef. Then I see another chef, and I'm like, "Y'all not even gonna tag me and say, yo, bro, thanks for the inspiration.' <laughs> Come on." So, long story. I'm not trying to say anything about, it, but what I'm saying is, I aim to make recipes that you can't get anywhere else. Right provide food, you know, combinations that you're like, that's a Chef Anthony recipe. I remember right. it when he made that. Or I I, I know the creative uh, mindset that he puts behind his recipes. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when you're coming up with your recipes, you're looking around, kind of trying to see what's going on, if it, if it exists, if it doesn't exist, you've claimed it, you're going to go for it and make <laughs> it. So when you're doing these new things that obviously might be new to someone's palate, how mm-hmm. do you then know if it's a winner or not? Like what... Who are you, are you? Are you just tasting it? At when it's home? online, once it's online and people see it, and that show people how I make it, sometimes right. Then it's like now who who's willing to put this at their event, right? So then I put it at the event, and that's the confirmation right there, right? You know, so like the vegan loaded mashed potatoes, coconut milk, sauteed Brussels sprouts, bell peppers, onions, mushrooms. Boom! Mm. Take that, add a little tomato sauce. Boom! Pour it over the potatoes. Instead of whipping the potatoes with heavy cream, I use a little bit of uh, coconut milk. Mm-hmm. That way, it stays vegan. Mm-hmm. So, me using all of these different things, I'm like, I post it online. Now, whose event wants to, you know, try it? Right. And then once they try it, you know, I'm, I'm good. Listen, you cannot discount yourself for cooking at baby showers because we know how important food is yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at our events, mm-hmm. okay? So, like, those are the real testers. Like, those small events are mm-hmm. the ones that will really tell you yep. if it's really good because food is so important, you know? And I've gotten to the point now where I'm at an event, 
like before I used to be kind of nervous. I've been seeing the people eating the food. This and that. I don't even look around. Like I already know they're going to enjoy it. Right. Because I literally like if I try something, boom, I'm like, I really don't even have to like do it again. Like I can give you the recipe off the top of my head. Right. Because I made it so many times. Right. Yeah. Well, no, I can shout you out because last time you were here, you made these crab cakes. Yeah. Now, if anybody knows my husband, Earl, they know that he does not eat seafood and he ate those crab yeah. cakes. So that <laughs> was a winner in itself. Yeah. Like and, you know, we had some friends over. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, our mentee was over and he was like, oh, my gosh, I think these are the best crab cakes I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And they were super moist. And yeah. I mean. You know, being in this area, crab cakes are so important. Yeah, most definitely. And you've even figured out a way to make them taste yeah. different and not like yeah. the other. So I definitely can tell that you are putting some thought yeah. and some time into your recipes. So with that being said, like you're doing your thing. But like what has I, I've seen you, you know, well, I've, I have not personally seen you, but I've known I've seen your post with you being on the news and different things like that. When did you how long were you in it when you were like, OK, I'm really starting to get some feedback. I'm really starting to get some invites to to come sit on the news, Fox News in the mm-hmm. morning. And, mm-hmm. you know, people are actually having me showcase. When did that started happening as to the beginning when you got out, which was around 2014? OK. And then so 2018 was when I got on the news for the first time, January 2nd. So he did a new four year. years of hustle. four years. OK. And that's why I say like. You can't jump in something and think you're going to be successful because the next person, you don't know how much work they put in. You know, like you may start following somebody and think that they just been successful the entire time or they've been on, you know, the news all this time. So when I got on news, I had already wrote them like four years prior. And I mean, not four years prior. I wrote them when I first got let drop this one Mm -hmm. um, in 2016. No response. And I kept writing them, kept writing them. And one day the guy wrote back who I had wrote and I hadn't wrote him probably in like nine months. But he probably mm-hmm. had his eye on me and was like, I'll invite him when I feel like. And I do feel like everything is in God's timing. Mm-hmm. So I went there uh, January 2nd, 2018. And that whole entire year, I went on the news probably about eight times. Wow. Like it started to become, people started to become so desensitized to it. When I, they were like, man, you live up there. You know, like I started. It's a good problem people, to have. By the, the camera way. people, I'm starting to know them on a first name basis. You know, they know me. I was went on a, not just the morning show. I went on an evening show. Um, and then the following year, I wrote the TV one person. I do my own PR. Okay. I write my own people if they reach back out. And this is the thing. Out of like 100 people I write, three people write back. That's why I say it's all about consistency and just writing and writing. All the articles that they wrote about me, I wrote those people to tell them about the story. Hey, I just released this book. Me and my daughter, blah, blah, blah. And they may ignore you. But right. then there's some people who will write you back. You know? So I just say, I just... I push hard. So what do you think is in you or why do you think you're somebody that, because I think that's important for entrepreneurs to hear. Um, Many of us Mm -hmm. that take the entrepreneurial path know that there are so many roadblocks and there are so many things that frustrate you um, that make it hard Mm -hmm. um, to do it. So what has made, what gave you the mindset? Like they didn't answer. I'm just going to keep asking, you know, at some point, you know, I I may hear back. And if I don't, I'm just going to keep going and pushing. Mm -hmm. What, what is in you that you think an entrepreneur needs to to even think about to kind of to be successful to mm-hmm. to do the same things even if it's culinary something else but mm-hmm. what do you think that they need to kind of like have internally to keep pushing even after every no yeah i mean if you believe in yourself someone else will too 
So I always believe myself still to this day. Like I still haven't been on some of the platforms that I want to be on, you know, to be like made it. But Washingtonian was a very big one. And like I said, when I wrote them, they wrote me back. Right. You know, I've written Washington Post multiple times. And ultimately, I'll get on there. Right. You know, L.A. Times, L.A. Times food, you know, the food section in Washington Post. These things, not just to say, oh, I was on there, but I know how it will catapult my career and mm -hmm. what I do and who I provide it for, you know. And ultimately, you know, money's cool, you know. You can always make more money. And right. I feel like those avenues will help me to get to an even more successful place. So an entrepreneur business. that's doing it all on their own like you, mm -hmm. what do you – like, how, how, what would you tell them the steps are? I know we talked about it and you're mm -hmm. big on entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, I know that you believe that, you know, we all should kind of try to depend or find something that we enjoy doing. Um, what do you, what, what's their first step? You know, you decide that you want to do something. What should they do? Um, first of all, every business needs a website. Mm -hmm. it, it not only does it make you look more official, but people take you more serious. So until I started utilizing my website, on where people can go in there, inquire, then people kind of were just like emailing me and DMing me and, you know, those type of things could fall to the wayside. Mm -hmm. So I say get a website first, you know, and also when it comes to the business, you have to be in it like to win it. And, mm -hmm. you know, as cliche as that sounds. So knowing that I'm not just going to be doing this to see it, what it does to, today or tomorrow and just give up. Right. You know, you have to really be like, this, I'm going to put my blood, sweat, and tears into this, you know. Right. Um, and, you know, I didn't even over-exaggerate. I actually under-exaggerated the amount of people I've written when it comes to PR, mm -hmm. you know, and getting that type of brand. Like, I probably, all jokes aside, have probably written from 2015 to now, the last five years, I probably have written about 2,000 people. Oh, wow. You know, okay. and this is by me going online, researching names, boom, 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 talk to them. And, you know, from it, you get recognition and you also can equate that to either book sales or whatever you're trying to, you know, accomplish. Right. So I know you have a lot of Instagram followers and things yeah. like that. Do you equate your followers and your pickup from the exposure that you've gotten in some of these areas? Do you Absolutely. think that that's a direct reflection yeah. of it? Yeah. So when I would go on the news and I would come back to my phone, it'd be tons of new followers. To me, the new followers may not equate to money, but in the long run, these people may be your potential customers. Right. So always being able to give people the product that they'll want to follow you for. So even like when I was featured on those different uh, platforms, like it's more and more following and that engagement. I think the engagement and the impressions that you get is way is, is probably the most important because okay. that means you could follow the amount of content that you're putting out to see what people are, what's resonating on people and what's not. Right. I notice when I post seafood, people go crazy. You know, <laughs> right. when I post things with sauces dripping down it, people go crazy. Right. When I post me and my daughter making videos, they love it. Right. So I know what to provide them. And I continue to provide it not being so predictable. And that's another thing. Like, you, you don't want to be so predictable to the point where, here you go, some more sweet potatoes, uh, <laughs> collard greens. You know, I'm like, how about I throw you a picture of some food I made at home? But then next time I may show you a video of me at an event. Right. And then I may show you just me. I'm show you my family, you know, and just always mixing it up. I never try to get caged into that box. Right. Of, okay, here, Anthony, come again. You know. So you think <laughs> entrepreneurs need to, A, believe in themselves. Mm -hmm. And then once they're involved in it, they need to be in it, as you said, to win it. Mm -hmm. They need to stick with it. Stick with it. And, and focus on it. And in time. so Over time. Never think that you're right. going to be overnight success like 
Lil Nas X. Buy a beat for $30 and make $100 million off the song. Right. Well, you know, we are I mean, a microwave that that, that that was a blessing, but everything is not, everybody can't be like that. And that's probably one of the biggest things with entrepreneurship that happens. We kind of, when things aren't moving as quickly, we, we want to give up. Yeah, we give up and then we start thinking like, maybe this isn't what people mm-hmm. may or want. But it's like you said, you started to really study what was getting you the reactions mm-hmm. that you wanted and you focused on that area. So Correct. if I'm hearing you right, flexibility is also important. Absolutely. You may think that you're a pro in this area, but the, you're following the trends. The trends are telling you I need to focus. Your on, trends. Yes. Not what everyone else in your right. field is doing. Yeah. Right. They, that I had you set back. Exactly. Like set all the way back. So you focus primarily on being an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and, and you said that before too, you don't want to do things that other chefs are doing. You want to do things that are new, unique, that you're not going to see on a menu. Like I might be the only chef who has a, a, a a rap video out. Right. I mean, an actual song on Apple music. Seriously. (laughs) Like I went and and bought studio time and made a rap, like about one of the, the, the sayings that I was saying, like I go to people and I deliver, but like delivery is never free. Like I do it for a small fee. So I was like. You just make a song like I got bored at that moment I made the video in like 45 minutes but it's on Apple Music you know <laughs> so I just try to do things like that you know and even other chefs I always I'm like yo you got all these recipes let me help you put it into a, let me help you put it into a book <laughs> I try to help individuals create books because someone showed me how to make it right and I never had to look back and you know they could become lucrative right do you plan on writing anymore Oh yeah, at all let geared another, towards food or let something else. Pandemic hit. <laughs> well, Lord, we don't need any more pandemics yeah, to hit. I'm hoping not, but you know, whenever I get just bored, I just put stuff together, and I'm like, make sure that it's it's, it's worthy of people, you know, and you know, it has actual good content. So, so mm-hmm. let me ask you this: You have a daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, your wife does she work? She does. Okay. So, and then you're focused on your entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. What do you tell your daughter? What do you tell children that, uh, in, in this society, and I guess when I ask this question, I want to be really clear. I, I think that, you know, we spend a lot of time telling our kids, go to college, you know, uh, you know, you got to get a good job. You got to, you know, do something that usually requires some extensive degree. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I believe that we do a disservice because there are a lot of people, creatives, mm-hmm that don't fit in those molds, you know what I mean? And because they're ultra creative, they don't succeed at a nine to five because there's too many things boxing them in. What would you like your daughter to do? And and, and as you're raising her and she can see both mommy working and you being an entrepreneur, what, how are you raising her to make those kind of decisions later on in life about her career as she's growing up? So what I'm doing is exactly what, I don't think that my parents did enough of and that's focusing in and locking in on what she likes. Okay. Because I'm like, what do I like? What do I see her doing on a regular basis? You know, what do I see her really good at? You know, um, and one of the things I noticed is gymnastics. She will flip through that house. She, <laughs> we've got her mats and she'll like do handstands and, you know, and I'm like, this may be something we had to put her in after all the pandemic. So right. we'll put her back in because she was in it. Okay. But like, she's really gotten better just since, you know, she's been out of it. Right. Um, she also likes to, she has a, uh, like a crazy memory. Like she remembers everything. So like 
possibly being able to retain information somehow and find out which, uh, what's it called, subject in school she likes. And, you know, she may be a historian. You right. know, you just never know. Right. So. But that's good. That's good that you are not focusing on um, forcing her. Mm-hmm. But And I think that comes from being a creative and understanding. Mm-hmm. So as we wrap this up, mm-hmm. which, you know, I could actually talk to you all night, mm-hmm. you know, um, you have great conversation. But what do you um, if if someone's listening and can hear your story, because the, the podcast is called Roadmap for a reason. Mm-hmm. We want to be able to give people a map of ways to be successful. This yeah. obviously focuses on entrepreneurship, um, overcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a great story. Um, what do you want people to take away from hearing your story? What do you want someone that is looking at you that may even like my mentee, you know, who's had challenges, who, who is an entrepreneur, but life is hard as you stated, Mm -hmm. because especially if you got a stain on your record, it's hard to overcome. What do you want individuals that may be a going through something like that, that may have been to prison or something like that, or then just a normal person that may not have had any issues, but they're tired of their nine to five. You know, the pandemic has created a lot of opportunities for people to get creative, but what do you want your story to teach people? Um, that no matter what has transpired in your past, the only person who will really hold you back is yourself. So you have to come up with a game plan. If this is, we talking about entrepreneurs, you got to come up with a game plan as to what you want to do and plan from beginning to end. Now you never know the end. You know, but what is your ultimate 12 month goal? Try to get it accomplished. What is your 24 month goal? Write it down, make a vision board, something so that you could kind of speak it into existence and you can kind of be focused on, you know, pursuing each one of those things. Right. Um, like I honestly, I didn't put down, write a book at the beginning of 2020. I just said, I want to do as many events as I can. And if I have to start doing this, the first year I started doing two events in a day. And that's why I make sure that I motivate people by posting in my story, event one of September Mm -hmm. event two. And we got to like September 25th. And I'm like event 28 of, you know, and maybe this may get somebody amped up like, yo, if he could do it and I know what he's done, right. I can do it, you know, not to rub it in your face, like how much money or how many events I'm doing. You know, I just like to inspire other people because some people need to see that, you know, to feel like it's all possible. And anybody who's seen me in the beginning with looking at, like I said, the food that I used to post, it'd be like, it was cool, but it ain't nothing like how it is now, you know? So um, definitely, you know, plan from beginning to end, make a long-term goal, short, short short-term goal. um, And, Stick with it. Right. And please do not let anybody around you tell you that you can't do something. Right. You know, because there's going to be, there's, you know, people told, man, but you charge too much. These are friends, quote unquote, friends of mine. Right. Who were telling me I was charging too much. And I'm like, y'all buying it from me? No. So how you going to tell me I'm charging too much? Because your homegirl wrote me and asked me for an event and I gave her a price and she came back and told you he charged too much. What's too much? Right. So don't and, let, and don't budge on your price either. So <laughs> right. when you tell somebody a firm price and they say, oh, it's too much. They're basically trying to say they're devaluing your product. Right. Because nobody walks into these high end restaurants downtown and say you're charging too much for a Delmonico steak or a tomahawk steak or lamb chops. 
Yeah, you're right. When we're sitting at Ocean Prime eating our nice dinner, and that no bill one come. is saying. Yeah, nobody's going to say nothing. Yeah. You know, so act your wage. Right. You know, me personally, I don't think my prices are crazy. Right. But if you can afford me, you can afford me. If you can't, you can't. Right. It, is, like, what, it is what it is. And it goes to knowing your audience. Yeah, yeah exactly. the audience that you're trying to reach. And by the way, yeah. no, I don't think your prices are too much because I've paid <laughs> for them a couple of times. But no, I don't. I think that you are doing phenomenal stuff. And um, I love your story. And I think that you have a lot to teach. So what is success for Chef Anthony? Where do you want to go? Where do you see yourself? Uh, what's one of those places you'd like to maybe, you know, be on a new platform? Um, long term, I don't know when because I can't, I can speak into existence. But ultimately, a TV show where I give those same recipe videos that I give on my page, quick, easy, fun of uh, recipes on a television show. Okay. Long term. Dope. Um, I say long term. It could be long or short, but ultimately right. in the future. In the future also, um, at least a restaurant. I don't plan on working on it. I just want to walk through and make sure everything's good, be the creative person, change up the menu. Right. You know, possibly maybe go in the kitchen, but I don't physically want to work in the kitchen at the restaurant. Right. Um. I feel like I've given a lot of time and and they got to salute those guys who work in kitchens. <laughs> like, I don't think that they get enough credit. People that work in restaurants never get enough credit oh, for the amount yeah. of work that they uh, put in. No, it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. I've worked in hospitality. It's yeah. a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. No, thanks for having me. Though. I, I appreciate really appreciate it. you being yeah, here today. Sure. Guys, I really appreciate having Chef Anthony here um, on Roadmap Podcast. It's been wonderful. I really hope that you can pull out some uh, things that he said as it relates to his story, a roadmap to how he got to where he is and the challenges that he has seen and overcame. Thank you so much. Drop them up at the at the bottom. Subscribe roadmap pod um, on um, YouTube and then roadmap underscore pod on Instagram. We look forward to seeing you. I can't wait to see you next time as we talk about the next person's journey. Thank you. Bye.